Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. So did the prosecutors try to claim that you like snuck more drugs into a system some kind of way? Hey, they acted like that I came up behind him with a loaded syringe and stuck him in the neck. That is what they acted like. To me, I consider him as a friend, and I believe he considered me as a friend, too. It was more than just him paying for sex. Was it a pimp? It was a woman, but you could call her something like that. What was the method that you would use to usually rob him? Whenever you're a drug addict, you will do literally whatever you have to do to make sure you have your next fix. You are now listening to the podcast, Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. 
Welcome to another gripping episode of Voices of a Killer. In today's episode, we explore the complex story of Randy Highfield, a tale where the lines between victim and perpetrator blur, leaving us to grapple with unsettling questions about culpability, justice, and the human condition. Randy Highfield's story is a complicated one, a life entangled with addiction, fraught relationships, and a tragic incident that led to the loss of a life. Throughout this in-depth interview, Randy candidly shares her journey, the night that changed everything, and the subsequent arrest and extradition. We'll also delve into her views on the correctional system and what her plans are for life after prison. As we navigate this complex narrative, we invite you to consider, is Randy Highfield a victim of her own life circumstances, or is this a series of unfortunate decisions that shouldn't have happened? This story contains themes of drug use, prostitution, and murder, so listener discretion is advised. Buckle up, because this promises to challenge your perspectives and provoke thought on this episode of Voices of a Killer. This is a prepaid collect call from Randy Highfield, an offender at the Chillicothe Correctional Center. To accept charges, press 1. Hello. What's going on? Oh, nothing. What are you doing? All right. So, Randy, where are you from? Springfield, Missouri. Is that where you grew up all your life? Yeah, born and raised. How would you describe your childhood? I had a good childhood. I'm the oldest of eight kids. My grandparents raised me and my brothers, though, because both of my parents were in prison. So I've always been around weed and alcohol a little bit, but it wasn't until I got a little older into the I started realizing about the heavier stuff. But other than that, I had a great childhood. What did your parents go to prison for? My dad went to prison for armed robbery, and my mom went to prison for sneaking drugs into a better facility to my father. How long did they give her for trying to do that? Um, I am not sure about that. I, she's done a nice little bit of time. Oh, I'm not sure gotcha. exactly how long since I was young, but. How would you describe your, your childhood with your grandparents? They tried their best to raise you or, or what? Uh, my grandparents tried every, like they, honestly, they, they I couldn't have had better people raising me. My grandparents put in all the effort. It was just me and my two brothers. And I think we were just a little bit too wild for them, but they tried their hardest. My grandparents are amazing people. Sure. Do you think maybe they just weren't hip to what was going on and and catch the signs and things like that? I think that they tried to stop us as much as possible, but they were no match for us. (laughs) When you say stop, you mean uh, to get into drugs and crime? Yeah, absolutely. What age were you when you started doing hard drugs? About 12 or 13. So did you actually get into prostitution? Absolutely, I did, unfortunately. Randy Highfield's story is one that is steeped in complexity and controversy. While she describes her upbringing as generally positive, her circumstances were far from idyllic. Raised by her grandparents because her own parents were incarcerated, Randy grew up as the oldest of eight kids in an environment with drugs and alcohol. Despite the efforts of her grandparents, whom she credited as amazing people, Randy's own journey into the criminal world seems almost inevitable. From an early age, she was exposed to substance abuse, her father went to prison for armed robbery, and her mother served time for smuggling drugs into a federal facility. Her grandparents tried to protect her and her siblings, but felt overmatched by the youngster's proclivity for trouble. Randy herself admitted that they were no match for her and her siblings when it came to preventing their descent into drugs and crime. It seems like she was truly following her parents' footsteps. She started using hard drugs at around the age 12 or 13, 
marking a darker chapter in her life. This eventually led her to a grim underworld that not only involved substance abuse, but also sex work. I wanted to know what led her to make this decision to make a living from the oldest profession. What age did you start doing that? Let's see, I just had my first kid, so I was about 22. That's when you began prostituting? Yeah. I was working two jobs, and I got approached by somebody, and it was more money than I was going to make in my whole paycheck at one job. Was it a pimp? Uh, it was a woman, but you could call her. <laughs> you could call her something like that. But she was just trying to tell you, hey, this is a good way to make money? Yeah. What did she tell you? What did she tell you you should do? Okay, really, she was just like, I'm like, yo, how come you're always driving these nice cars? You got all this fancy things. Your kids are all dressed in the best. And she said, hey, I can hook you up with this dude. $400 for an hour. Bam. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, really. But $400 for an hour, I was like, what's up? How quickly did you get into it after she had approached you about that? Was it pretty easy? Oh, yeah, instantly. I think as I was addicted to the drugs, I was more addicted to the fast money lifestyle and being showered with gifts. And I didn't ever want for nothing. If I want a brand new purse, I get a brand new person and money. My family never wanted for nothing because I always had what we needed. So did you get pretty heavy into prostitution? You were doing it all the time? All the time. Several times a day? Like two or three. But really, I honestly, once I started realizing that guys wanted to just get high with me, and uh, this might sound bad, but okay, whenever dudes do meth, usually they can't really get it up. So I really would just come in and hang out, maybe be wearing a t-shirt and panties, and I wouldn't even really have to do anything. Once I realized that was the type of stuff that I could do, that's what I was doing. I wasn't having sex with everybody. Sure, like sure. that. Was it almost always drugs involved when you do this? Always. That's, that was my motivation for everything in my life. Yeah. What was your drug of choice? Okay. I started out whenever I was pregnant. I had a, like a little car incident and I fractured my wrist and stuff and they gave me pain pills. I had previously had tooth problems. I went to the dentist. I could never take pain pills. For some reason, it stuck this time. So it went from me getting prescribed pain and I had my kids and I had C-sections and I had got more pain pills. So after they stopped being prescribed to me, then I went to the streets to buy them, which is pretty much what fueled my prostitution, really, because I was working two jobs up until I had a drug habit yeah. and I had two kids. How do, how do I support a drug habit and finance bills and, and take care of my kids? So I kept my two jobs and I started hustling. So was heroin your drug of choice? It wasn't for a long time. I tried my hardest just to stay with pain pills, but then the pill epidemic kind of happened and they started cracking down on doctors and they didn't want doctors to prescribe pain medicine to people anymore. So rather than go through withdrawal, I fought it for so long and finally I was going through withdrawal so bad and someone was like, just do this little bit. I got a little bit of heroin. On a, I, I wish I would have never done it, but I did. And I, it was a wrap after that. It never stopped. That's all I did. Whenever you would uh, meet these guys and sometimes have sex, do drugs with them, do you have opportunities where you could actually rob them and steal from them? Absolutely. Multiple times. 
What was a method that you would use to usually rob them? I honestly didn't really have to rob them. I feel like I had a slick mouth at that point in time. Whenever you're a drug addict, you will do literally whatever you have to do to make sure you have your next fix. But have I robbed them? Yes, of course I have. Whenever a guy's been up for two weeks straight and you're smoking meth with them and they can't stay away, when you're a drug addict, yeah, you're just going to clean out their wallet and you're going to leave. You do that quite often? Yeah, yeah. I'm not proud of it. A new mother and feeling the pressure of having to provide, Randy worked two jobs just to make ends meet. An encounter with a woman who could be described as a pimp enticed her with the allure of fast money and a lavish lifestyle. Randy was quick to embrace this life, driven by addiction not only to drugs, but the fast money and luxuries it offered. She found ways to sustain her addiction, eventually opting for methods that required little to no sexual interaction with clients. Drugs remained her constant companion, and she admitted they were, quote, my motivation for everything in my life, and that she would do anything to get her next fix, unquote. The trajectory of Randy's life reflects the broader opioid crisis plaguing America. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly 500,000 people died from opioid overdoses from 1999 to 2019, a grim testament to the pervasiveness of the issue. The pill epidemic intensified when regulations started clamping down on prescriptions, driving many, like Randy, to street drugs like heroin just to cope with chronic pain. This descent culminated in a chapter in 2020, a year that proved fatal not just for her, but for the victim in her case. So there's a particular person that passed away after doing drugs that you were involved in. They don't really list his name, so I'll just say the victim. The victim in yes. your case, did you ever had sex with him before? Yes, multiple times. And he was actually, I know it sounds weird because most prostitutes, I wasn't just in there and busting it down and having sex with all these dudes. I literally would spend time with them. They were getting me high for free. So I would just kick it at their house, hang out, smoke some weed, smoke some dope. they let me shoot up at their house, whatever. And I didn't want for nothing. I'd be like, hey, I want to order pizza. They ordered pizza. Oh. He was actually truly, to me, I consider him as a friend. And I believe he considered me as a friend too. It was more than just him paying for sex. The night that this happened, uh, did you plan out to to get him high enough to where you could incapacitate him and, and rob him? Absolutely not. Okay, this is what the plan was right from the beginning, okay? My significant other was involved in this with me, okay? Okay, so she's helping you set it up to, to meet him? Yeah. I wake up, she's already got it all set up, okay? She does not do calls with me. She has a couple times, but she did not do calls with me. So I was like, what do you mean we're going to go do this together? She already had it all worked out, like $800, and he was going to pretty much have a threesome with us. Right from jump, she's like, I'm not having sex with nobody. Boom, pretty much in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, so we're going to go kick it, maybe get naked, fool around in front of him a little bit, and get our money. We're all going to get high, and then we're going to leave. We were never going to have sex with him. Once I was already in the house and I texted my ride and I said, hey, he's about passed out, then we'll be out to the car. Never did I have any intentions on harming that man. So y'all get to the victim's house and y'all just give him the drugs and he does it himself or did y'all put any kind of... So we get there and we kind of fool around in front of him a little bit. Like I, I'm sitting on her lap and stuff and 
uh, we're just being all cutesy and a little sexy, you know, and he literally asked, he said, if you do not have no drugs, don't come in the text messages. If, I don't know if they blast all the text messages, but literally he said, if you don't have it, don't come. I said, all right, cool. So we get there. I didn't have very very much drugs. I had a half gram. We are doing big boy things with heroin at this point in time. A half gram. Literally, I would not even have went out there if I would have had enough heroin to last me all night. But that was not going to last me and her all night. I'm like, fuck it. We're going to take the last little bit we got. We're going to go out there. We're going to mess around in front of him, whatever, get the money in our pockets. We're all going to get high. Whenever he nods out, we're piecing out. That was the plan. So no plan to rob him? No. Take the money, yes. Because we wasn't going to have sex with him. Yeah, yes, robbing him. We just took the money that we were supposed to have sex for, and we didn't have sex. Do you want to consider that robbing, then yes. Yeah, one of the uh, text messages that they had was from your sister that said, quote, unquote, don't rob him, do him right unquote she didn't want us to take all his money yeah so when you get there y'all mess around in front of him do Mm y'all hand over the drugs to him oh okay no i split literally i gave him the smallest amount i didn't know it had fentanyl in it i gave him the smallest amount done a shot right there in front of him and he snorted a line a like a little baby line what happened to him after he snorted that line we started messing around in front of him again. He was chilling on the couch. He started nodding out and mumbling a little bit. And I started, I'm like, hey, get up. Trying to, really, I was just trying to make it seem like uh, we were there trying to party with him. You know what I'm saying? And then as soon as I knew he was like good and nodded out, I was like, all right, let's go. Never once did I ever, yeah. I, I never in my mind even thought that would be a possibility. As many times as I've got high with somebody and, uh, they nodded out, and I just left. Never did it even cross my mind that something like this was going to happen. At the center of this tragedy was a man that Randy considered a friend. Unlike the typical relationships one might associate with prostitution, they shared mutual pastimes, engaged in drug use, and provided sort of a companionship for each other. On the night of the fatal incident, the plan wasn't premeditated malice, but rather an orchestrated scenario involving Randy and her significant other. Their intention was to tease and entice the man, a ruse to secure payment without actually engaging in sex. A text from Randy's sister warned her to, quote-unquote, do him right, a plea not to fully exploit him. The drug served as both the backdrop and the catalyst for what unfolded. The victim had insisted they bring drugs, heroin. In this case, despite Randy's claim of giving him a small amount, what she didn't know was the heroin was laced with fentanyl, a synthetic opioid 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. The victim snorted a line and soon started nodding out and mumbling. Randy, interpreting his stupor as a sign to execute her exit plan and never once thought it would lead to his death. But this time, it was different. The victim didn't wake up. The combination of heroin and fentanyl proved lethal, sealing his fate and forever altering the course of Randy's life. And in the eyes of the law, they saw her as the killer. So did the prosecutors try to claim that you like snuck more drugs into a system some kind of way? Hey, they acted like that I came up behind him with a loaded syringe and stuck him in the neck. That is what they acted like. Wow. That and more after the break. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So whenever y'all left the house and he was basically all the way knotted out, did he look yeah. like he was still alive? Oh, yeah. Listen, I, I even slapped him in the face because if you know anything about heroin, whenever someone starts to really nod out or if you think they might OD, you like slap them around a little bit, make sure they're still coherent. So I, I slapped him around a little bit and he started talking crazy. And I was like, ah, like you're on a good one, huh? And he was kosher when I left. Like literally he had just talked to me. So I was like, all right, we're good. I just figured he'd do his little nod for a couple hours and text me and be like, damn, y'all didn't even give me no pussy. So after y'all left, how long was it till you got the news that he had passed away? I didn't know for a couple weeks, like two or three weeks. And my sister called me and said that the police had been to her house and she was freaking out. She's like, they're looking for you. And that guy died. The victim died. She said his name because my, like my family knew him. So... He wasn't just a random trick. My family and me had been knowing him for a little while. The investigators or police came and questioned you or arrested you right off the bat or how did it work? By this time, this was like three weeks later, we were living at my significant other grandparent's house, his, her grandpa's house. And he came home one day and there was needles all over the table. He was like, you guys got to get out. We didn't have nowhere to go. So he was like, hey, why don't we go get clean? At my sister's house in California. Okay, so her sister had bought us uh, bus tickets before any of this even happened. She bought us these bus tickets. Boom. We go to California. We're going through withdrawals and getting off the heroin and everything. And they picked us up in California. Actually, they only picked me up in California. They didn't even arrest her. It says in the uh, report that you'd actually skipped out on court several times. That I'd skipped out on court? Yeah. Now, I didn't even know anything about it until I was arrested. I never went to court, not one time, until they transferred me from California back to Missouri. So the news and, and the prosecutors make it sound like you skipped town to California to skip the charges? Absolutely that you had not. Rates. They probably had a warrant on you, if it's the way you said it, say it is. They had a warrant, and uh, you just kept missing court appearances or something. I don't know. So... They came and get you. Where were you whenever the authorities arrested you in California? Capazon, California. Were you at someone's house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, did they knock on the door and uh, say they had a warrant? Uh, no, they they just pulled up and they had a bullhorn and they said both of our names and told us to come outside. So I came outside with my hands up and there was the U.S. Marshals. They arrested me, took me to that county jail. 
and I sit there for a month waiting on extradition. In the aftermath of that fateful night, Randy left the victim's house believing she'd done enough to ensure his well-being. Her understanding of heroin use led her to conclude that he was alright. He wasn't. Weeks passed before she even knew something had gone terribly wrong. It was her sister who broke the news, informing her that the police had visited her home looking for Randy. It was around this period that Randy found herself amidst another crisis. Living at her co-defendant's grandpa's house, they were kicked out due to their persistent drug use. As a desperate but perhaps serendipitous move to get clean, they decided to relocate to California. It would be there that Randy's past would catch up with her. U.S. Marshals arrested her, and she spent a month in county jail in California, awaiting extradition back to Missouri. What's interesting is Randy's denial of knowingly missing any court appearances. News reports and prosecutors painted her escape to California as a deliberate act to evade justice. Randy insists otherwise. She claims she was completely unaware of any pending court dates or even that a warrant was out for her arrest until she was apprehended in California. This segment of her life poses questions about the efficacy of the criminal justice system. How could someone be charged, have multiple court appearances scheduled, yet remain completely ignorant of this fact? It adds another layer of complexity to an already convoluted case, making us wonder if Randy is an unreliable narrator, a victim of a flawed system, or perhaps both. This news report from local station Color 10 gives us context to how the case was perceived by law enforcement. A probable cause statement provided by the Christian County Sheriff's Office says Randy Highfill, whose phone number was listed on sexually oriented websites with ads posted in the Springfield area, had agreed to stay the night with 63-year-old clever resident, but on the way, they stopped to purchase what Highfill thought was heroin. When the four women arrived to the residence, police say Highfill entered the home and drugged his with what turned out to be fentanyl. Highfill told investigators it took about 30 minutes for the drugs to kick in, that's when the two women went through his home to steal. The two allegedly went back to the car they arrived in with marijuana, money, and a book worth thousands of dollars. In the days following this incident, Highfill fled to California, where she was later arrested and sent back to Missouri and charged. Now all four women faced charges of second-degree murder, delivery of a controlled substance, and first-degree burglary. Investigators say in that probable cause statement that Highfill has a history of doing this sort of thing, robbing men that she had had sexual encounters with in the past. Heifel in jail with a bond of $1 million. What was that like being in jail in California? Different. I'm used to Missouri, but California was a little different. Yeah. It was all right, though. Like, their jail was okay, but I honestly, at that point in time, they said that they had a warrant. I didn't even know that dude had died right then. At that point in time, they said that I was being arrested for robbery and delivery of a controlled substance resulting in a death. So whenever I first started going to court, that is what my charges were. Yeah. Uh, robbery and delivery of a controlled substance resulting in a death. It wasn't until they picked my significant other up and had her in jail. And she said all kinds of crazy things to get out on bond. And so once that happened, that's whenever they dropped those charges and hit me with the murder two charge. They hit me, my significant other, and my other two co-defendants, which are the people that drove us to the house. So did the other two, the did they get charged as well and, and found guilty and everything? No, they got put on two years probation, but they didn't really know what was going on. I asked her, hey, can you give me a ride to make this money and I'll give you $100. 
Back in Missouri, Randy faced serious charges related to the night of the victim's death. She was implicated not just in drug-related crime, but also faced accusations of being directly involved in the circumstances leading to a man's death. But before she could face those charges, she would have to be extradited from California to Missouri. Within the United States, the federal government and individual states have extradition agreements that are generally guided by the U.S. Constitution and federal law. Once the requesting state has presented a valid case for extradition, the state where the individual has been located will arrest the person and hold an extradition hearing. If the extradition is approved, arrangements are made for the transfer of the individual to the requesting state. This transfer is typically carried out under high security measures, often involving law enforcement officers from both states and sometimes federal marshals, depending on the severity and nature of the crimes involved. I wanted to know what this experience was like for Randy and what eventually happened when she arrived back in her home state of Missouri and whether she felt any guilt for her actions. How did they transport you from California back to Missouri? Through a plane ride or a car ride? No. Three people came and picked me up, two men and a woman, and uh, they took shifts, driving and sleeping, and it was a 13-hour trip back from California to Missouri. You were all chained up the entire time? Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Unless, like, we stopped to eat, they would take my shackles off my hands and let me eat, but they kept them on my legs. How did you use the bathroom? The lady would take me in to go to the bathroom, and it was very embarrassing because literally people were grabbing their kids. It was just, it was very embarrassing. But, yeah, she would unchain me, unchain my hands and my waist and let me go pee. and. Let me wash my hands, and then she chained me back up, and we walked back out the gas station. So, once you get back to Missouri, you're charged, and you were at the trial. You pled not guilty, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I no, I uh, eventually I did take a plea deal, and I pled guilty. Yes. Okay. So, what did you plead yeah. down to? I pled down to involuntary manslaughter because me delivering drugs for committing a felony, in the process of that, somebody died. What was the plea sentence? I got 12 years at 40%. So did the prosecutors try to claim that you, like, snuck more drugs into a system some kind of way? Hey, they acted like that I came up behind him with a loaded syringe and stuck him in the neck. That is what they acted like. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. about what happened to that guy? It makes me so sad that... So many people got dragged into my, I really honestly feel like my bad choices resulted in somebody that I cared about in their death. It ended a relationship that I had been in for years that I I'll always love my code of finale. It, it put a hindrance on mine and my sister's relationships. I couldn't talk to my sisters the whole time I was in county. So it was just, and my sister had kids and had a brand new baby and I couldn't talk to really anybody, and I'm a very family-oriented person, so it was really hard, and it was just, it was a lot to take in. I had been in trouble before for possessions and little things like that, but I, and I had been to prison before, but I had never, I was okay with that because I was like, and I remember saying this to people all the time. I'll do a little jail stint or I'll go to prison for a little 17 months. I'm, I'm never going to do no big boy time because I, I'm i not the type of person to hurt somebody. And this like laying in my bed and just realizing or laying in my bunk and realizing like my actions did hurt people. It's really sad. 
The complexity of Randy's story had transformed this interview into something more than a simple dialogue. It became a deep exploration of a flawed system, personal choices, and the unforeseen ramifications of actions. I realized that much of what she says in this interview could serve as a microcosm for a society wrestling with the same issues on a much larger scale. Considering all that has happened, I wondered if Randy sees herself as a victim of her own choices. Or is this a tragic sequence of events that perhaps shouldn't have happened at all? How does she reconcile all of this in herself? As we finished off our conversation, I contemplated the gravity of the effect on her family. Her choices have really put her through the ringer of the U.S. legal system. I wanted to know what her thoughts were on the correctional services she encountered and whether they're geared more towards punishment or rehabilitation. We let Randy have the final word after the break. So what I want to know is it's pretty common knowledge that prison really doesn't ever correct anybody. The theme department of corrections to me is a play on words. So what you're going through now is more punishment and they should call it that, but they don't. So what I'm getting at is whenever you get out, you're going to have some choices of whether you want to slide back into the place that you were before, or you want to be someone else. What do you think that choice is going to be? Oh, I definitely know I'm never going to go back to heroin. It's caused nothing but bad things in my life. Honestly, while I'm here, anytime I've been in jail or prison before, I've taken it very lightly and been in and out of the hole and just because I didn't care. I knew as soon as I got out, I was going to go right back to doing what I was doing because it's all I ever knew. But now... I'm taking things seriously, and I'm about to get my GED. I passed all my subjects at a college level except for my math, which I'm working on that right now, taking anger management classes. I'm signed up for treatment. Any and every advantage I can take that while I'm here, I'm doing it because I do want to be a better person. I want to be better for my family, and I feel and it sucks to say it, but at the cost of my friend's life, it saved mine. How many more years do you have left of prison? Uh, let's see, I've done two years in county waiting for a plea deal. I've been in prison now for a year, and I go see the board in about 18 months. How does that feel going in front of the board? What are you going to tell them? I honestly don't know. All I know is I am going to take accountability for my actions and just hope for the best. And hope that they can look at what I've been doing with my time here and notice that I haven't been in any trouble and I've been taking classes and I'm trying to do everything proactive. My co-defendant is here now and people that have come in here that knew us from the street, I don't see how you could just let her walk this camp and not say anything or do anything. It's not for me to do that. I got to be the bigger person in this situation, you know? Yeah. Andy, I hope everything works out for you. It's always an unfortunate event for everybody involved. I would hope that whenever you get out, you don't mess with heroin again because it's just such a powerful drug. It'll definitely take you down a road you don't want to be. But uh, thanks for talking with me and uh, let me know if you ever need anything. All right. Thank you. All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.
on the next episode of Voices of a Killer. How difficult was that for you? The worst moment in my life. And when I woke up the next morning, she was laying beside me instead of on top of me, and she wasn't breathing. Do you feel like you deserve 10 years in prison for that? Absolutely. It's not so easy being labeled a, a baby killer. It's pretty rough. I mean, I think that the death of my child changed my life. I lost the most precious thing to me. Don't make the same mistake that I did and lose your child. The death of your child is not worth getting high. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Randy for sharing her story with us today. Her ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to the raw recordings of these interviews, you can visit patreon.com slash voices of a killer. By becoming a patron, you can access not only this, but hours of bonus recordings, correspondence, and you can contribute to the way the show is produced. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this. At our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before at our producer tier you will have the opportunity to engage with the team participate in q a polls and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments 
This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. You'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.